Hey, this is Alex Kula, and you are listening to another episode of the Go-To-Market Mastery Podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about winning enterprise accounts with our guest, Yuji Sikla. Enjoy. If you can't learn how to close, you better start thinking about another career. And I am deadly serious about that. Hello, Yuji. Hello, 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 Alex. Hello, yeah, thanks for taking the time. Um, huge pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, our contact, our, yeah, kind of like get to know was uh, kind of cool, I think. Um, I cold called you because I had a business idea. Um, and I was a huge fan of your podcast all always. And uh, you inspired me kind of also to start my own podcast. So now, um, huge pleasure. Uh, looking forward to having you on the show for a long time. And um, we're talking today about a really, really interesting topic. And I think a topic where you are the best person or one of the best to talk to. We're talking about winning enterprise accounts. And I think it's a really, really interesting topic. Um, it is a lot, is, it, is a huge like topic that we got here, but I think um, we see where we go. But as always in the Go to Market Mastery podcast, we start with a little introduction round. And could you maybe start by introducing yourself and share a bit more about you and your role at MongoDB? Sure. So, Alex, uh, first of all, um, thanks for the invitation. Uh, it's also a pleasure for me. I'm running my own podcast and it's always nice to be uh, like, you know, to sit on the other side of the table. So um, it's also a huge honor for me and I'm looking forward to whatever, uh, how long we will speak today. Uh, my name is Yuzi, Yuzi uh, Shikla. I'm uh, in like for like, around 15 years in, in sales, always in outbound, always in customer acquisition, always kicking in doors with new customers. Um, customer success or, you know, like um, babysitting customers um, was never my specialty. My specialty is how to open up new accounts and how to penetrate existing accounts um, in a land and expand model. I'm now in sales around for 15 years. Uh, I started in a, in a SaaS company, Norwegian SaaS company, a lot of cold calls every day, 50 to 60 cold calls sitting in a small room with five, six other guys on the phone. So that's where I really learned the ropes of selling in a very fast-paced sales environment, short sales cycles, three, four, five, six months. And uh, after nine years, after seeing a lot of different roles, building up teams, uh, building up regions for uh, this company, I switched to AWS, Amazon Web Services, because I wanted to sell more complex deals as well, more uh, also to, to bigger companies, uh, of course, of larger volumes. And um, currently, I'm a senior enterprise account executive at MongoDB. MongoDB is a U.S. Uh, company listed also on the stock exchange and the NASDAQ. And uh, what we do, we help customers with data. Basically, in one word, it's a database, a cloud-based product. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm happy to share uh, all my experiences or my point of view on enterprise sales. So let's get it going, Alex. Yeah, I would say the same way. And um, the thing is, um, we got a very broad topic here, but I think one of the biggest problems that sellers have is they don't know what 
good looks like. And I think you're in A, an environment that is highly relevant, and MongoDB um, as, yeah, as a sales org is, in my opinion, one of the best sales orgs in the world. So I think it would be very, very relevant to just listen in what a year, what a day, um, what a quarter of, of you looks like. And um, there I would, I would like to start with a little topic introduction. So what would you say overall is every enterprise deal, which stage is every enterprise deal going through? Stages. Which stages is every or enterprise going through? Stages, of course, yes. So I think it's first of all, I hope it's okay if I deviate a little bit. I think it's important that we define what is an enterprise deal. Um, I think there's a lot of words in the sales world uh, used, but uh, it, it sounds cool and enterprise deal sounds kind of cool, but then, okay, what is it actually? Um, I think an enterprise deal, I don't think there is such thing as an enterprise deal. There is also an, only an enterprise customer um, and maybe an enterprise product. Um, but for the sake of the discussion, let's agree an enterprise deal would be a more complex deal. And if you uh, sell to enterprise customers, um, and every company defines enterprise customer differently, but usually it's based on the revenue or on the number of employees, usually it's revenue. And mostly it's around, you know, 1 billion plus. Some, for some companies, it's 500 million plus. For some companies, it's 1 billion plus. So if you sell to an account, to a customer that has more than 1 billion of revenue, it's usually classified um, as, an, as an enterprise customer. Uh, maybe one disclaimer, everything I'm speaking here uh, about is not officially uh, something from MongoDB, but this is my personal experience and my personal opinion as well. So that must be said. Um, and back to your question. So which stages an enterprise deal is going through? Uh, the stages are the same as in every other deal. So what you have, it's the preparation prospecting phase. You have a discovery phase. Then you have a scoping phase. Uh, a, a validation phase. Validation could be both business validation and technical validation. And then you have the negotiation phase. So it's very similar, but in, in the detail lies the devil as always. Um, and that is what we, of, of course, can speak about uh, in more detail if you want. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for the introduction. Um, what did you say in general? Because you clarified um, what an enterprise account is. Um, is it just the complexity that differentiates an enterprise deal from an SMB deal? Yeah. So, I mean, let's take an example. I think uh, it's always good to take an example. Let's say you're selling um, a software solution for uh, finding new uh, applicants or new pot potential uh, employees, like a database, employee database. You are also like in the business uh, with, with Thomas, so you can relate to that, right? So let's say it's a SaaS tool, you can log in and maybe screen and research um, for, 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 for possible roles and applicants. And let's say you would sell this, uh, sell this uh, software to a small company, like an SMB type of uh, thing, um, 500 employees. Yeah, maybe like they have 10 million of, of revenue or something. Um, and now contrast this to you would be selling the same solution to a company that has maybe 500,000 employees and is doing like 5 billion of revenue. The product will stay the same, but the way how you sell it will be different uh, based on the complexity of the sales, of the buying process of the customer. So 
I think when we speak about enterprise sales and selling to enterprise customers and enterprise solutions, we should we should look at it from the perspective of the customer. Um, because on the customer side is where the complexity is created in enterprise accounts or enterprise deals. The bigger the company is, the more people are usually involved, the more departments are involved. The bigger the company, the more compliance rules you have, the more processes maybe you have, the more complex hierarchical structures you have of, you know, getting approvals for this and that. Um, and of course, the bigger the deal, let's say we're back to that recruitment platform, the SaaS platform, you would probably sell to an SMB a smaller license than to an enterprise customer. Because maybe in that enterprise uh, deal enterprise for the enterprise customer you need 100 seats whereas for an smb customer maybe you only need two three four five seats so let's say you have 10x the deal size so of course the more money is involved again more people are involved there is more risk that is on uh, that there is more there is more at stake um and the more money usually is involved the more complex the buying processes. Um, and um, there's a third thing, and maybe this is the most important thing. Very few people think about this, but the bigger the company you are selling to, the more problems they have. <laughs> let's say you are a, let's say you are a single uh, a one man show, right? Let's say you you have a company, you have a um, public, uh, maybe like a, 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 a company, but you're a one man show. Right, you your the number of problems you have is very. You have a lot of problems, but compared to a company, an enterprise scale, one million employees, five hundred thousand employees, they have a lot of problems. And why is this relevant? The more problems a company has, the more the pickier you need to be in which problems you want to solve, because. An enterprise customer has thousands of problems, okay? But they are not spending time on solving every problem. This means for you that you need to be in your research preparing uh, also already for the first outreach. You mm -hmm. need to look what are the, the uh, strategic initiatives of this customer so you attach yourself to those initiatives and you are... You are uh, intentionally looking for problems where you can attach your solution to that are significant for this company mm -hmm. because otherwise you'll be running after a small problem with a stakeholder that has nothing to say, that has no decision-making power and a small problem equals either no deal or a very, very small deal. Yeah, of course. And that is, of course, what nobody wants. But I think I, I love the explanation and especially the last part um, with like the problems. And I think that's like what differentiates great sellers that they know, okay, these are the pain points that get the money in, get the deal closed. Um, and research is, of course, the biggest part. So I would like to hop in in those first, um, in this first topic, like with prospecting. And um, I would like to start um, even a bit before the prospecting in the research. Um, state. So I guess you get a list of accounts that are within your area, within your industry. Is that right? I mean, in my case, it's not that way, but I mean, it could be, yeah. uh, it could be a potential scenario that you get maybe a list of 100 accounts. Yeah. 
uh, and then you need to open them up and like you know like do those first uh, land deals in those accounts. In my scenario, it's a bit different. I have just I just have a few accounts, yeah, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that's that. So I'm I'm more I'm more looking for new opportunities within within a few accounts instead mm-hmm. of. Looking for many opportunities in a lot of different accounts. Yeah, does it make so, sense? Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so let's just for like for the sake of keeping it a bit easier, um, let's just say we have an account list um, of a few accounts. So on those accounts, we start now with the research. So what is what are the initial key things that you start to look out in your research to build the first cold email or the, the first cold call? So when, you, when we really speak about enterprise sales, enterprise software sales to enterprise customers, the first thing you will do if you will get, uh, let's say you get 10 accounts, right, all enterprise accounts, you will first do your analysis where you want to focus your time on. Because uh, when you have 10 enterprise accounts, let's say you have 10 enterprise accounts, you have 10 Bosches or 10 Siemenses or whatever, right, those type of, or 10 Volkswagens you don't have time to run after all those 10 accounts um, because you need to be much more uh, like focused and you need to do much more research and preparation. And if you would do that on 10 accounts, forget it. Like either you have a team of you know five FDRs and three research associates or whatever, then maybe. But if you are like in normal, a normal enterprise account manager, no chance. So... First of all, you need to look at which accounts have the biggest potential for your product. That can be, for example, if you're selling an IT solution, let's say you're selling an IT solution. Yeah? What could be my criteria that I say, okay, out of those 10 accounts, which accounts I will pick out and like, what, are, what will be my three main accounts? I will, for example, look on the number of, um, on, on the IT spend they have. How much mm. money are they spending mm. on IT or how much money are they spending maybe on cloud solutions already? Or how many developers do they maybe have? How much employees compared to the overall employee size do they have in IT? Because mm. this gives me an indication of maybe how avid or you know how savvy, IT-focused, how innovative they think and are they are. So I need to find some kind of criteria, some kind of KPI to first of all, out of that patch of 10 accounts, Say I focus on two, three accounts, mm-hmm. and then comes, then I come back to your question. So let's say I have those three accounts. I have Siemens, I have Volkswagen, and I have. Let's stick with that, right? So what you then do, you start um, preparing something called. You can call it the value pyramid. Um, in in very simple terms, you want to understand what are the strategic priorities of this company. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the what is the ultimate goal? So first of all, you look, for example, in the uh, annual report, yeah, or on the investor relations um, uh, side of the website, um, or just in in our newsletter articles, in PR articles from that company. You look what is their ultimate goal? What do you want to achieve? How do they want to achieve it? So what is their strategy of achieving this? And what are the initiatives that they are driving? Why is this important? Because let's say, let's go back to your um, uh, recruiting SaaS platform, okay? You want to sell it to Siemens. You can now just call the HR department, just do a cold call like that. Um, Or you can say, hey, um, this is uh, head of HR at Siemens. um, I'm aware that that the the company, uh, Siemens, 
is um, heavily investing in SaaS solutions. And uh, I've seen that uh, you have open uh, at the moment 350 open positions just for software developers. And uh, I don't know how, how, you, uh, how you think and how your challenges are, but a lot of other of my customers in that, uh, in that industry, they are struggling to find new uh, software developers. Uh, is this also a problem for you? Um, and then you can, of course, position your product. So what, what I want to showcase is you want to understand what is the main goal of the company, what is their strategy, and then in your in your communication to the customer, you always you always refer back to what is the ultimate goal of the company and how can you, with your solution, help achieve this goal and help support those strategic initiatives that are here only to achieve that goal. Mm-hmm. And you don't yeah. do that for SMB customers usually, right? Um, or for smaller deals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so before you call in your research, um, are you just like, what do you just say on average, how much time are you spending on research? And is it just like that you use um, that you use like sources on the internet of information? Or are you also maybe like calling people from the company to gather information before you take the call to the decision maker? Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. So I think that the, the higher up you go in terms of uh, really compared from really small companies, SMB companies to enterprise companies, the more research heavy it gets. So you need to be more prepared uh, and why it's why is it more research heavy? First of all, bigger company means more business divisions, more areas you could go into. Let's take again Siemens, right? Siemens has I think four, five, six different daughter companies: Siemens Energy and Siemens Smart Infrastructure, and what have you. So first of all, you need to you know like where do I want to start, <laughs> right? So then if you have selected one division, you need to dig yourself through tons of materials, read a lot of things, understand their business model. So the bigger the company, the more research you need to put in. And probably I invest probably one third of my time, roughly, just mm-hmm. in research. Yeah. And what was the second question? I think I forgot that. <laughs> no, um, it was like, it was like how, much, how much time are you just spending in, on research? And are you also leveraging like other sources besides sources on the internet of information? Um, yeah, that know? was the second one. So, so I mean... What you what what you want to do in as like in, in sales uh, in every sales encounter, you want to speak with whom you want to speak with the decision makers or someone that can can influence the deal, right? Yeah. Like, so we would call it in a uh, more sophisticated way. We call it champions. Like in a medic world, you call it the champion, yeah. right? It's your champion. A champion is someone that that has power and influence in the account and it is also interested in solving the issue. So um, before you reach out to those people that are quite high up in the hierarchy, you want to be relevant for them. Why is this mm-hmm. important? And this is one, uh, I think, uh, it sounds very basic again. And people now, when I will say this, people will say, think, ah, it's so basic. Like, of course, everyone is doing that. No, you're not doing it. Uh, or let's say a lot of people are not doing it properly in terms of, if you reach out to a director of head of VP level, even a C level person, the more precise your messaging must match 
their current state, their current problems, and their current strategy. And the problem that mm, a lot of salespeople have is that they are too generic. They say, hey, hey, I'm calling from company XYZ. Um, uh, we have this uh, nice uh, product that solves this and this problem. Let's speak, right? This is not relevant because they get like tons of those marketing messages per day. How you get relevant is that you understand what is currently driving this person, what is currently his problem, what is currently his issues and his initiatives. So before I reach, and back to your question, before I reach out to this, let's call it deal champion decision maker, I look in the organization for people that are below this the person, maybe the team framework. of that person, right? Yep. And I set up maybe a discovery call with one, two, three of those people. And I just try to understand, hey, uh, I would love to understand uh, what, uh, what you're working on, what, you're, what is your experience with XYZ, um, to gather intelligence, to gather information, to craft your message and to be very precise and to create relevancy then with that decision maker that you want to book an appointment with. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. I, I do the same thing as well, even though I'm working currently on smaller deals because i think it's like a huge rel like like huge leverage for leaders um, mm. even though if you like mention what their team thinks and it's always relevant to them what the opinion of their team is and most leaders in my opinion they don't know what exactly their team is thinking because you know they have a big team they have often lots of things to do and i think if you tell them hey you know your team's opinion about this problem is xyz I've interviewed them all. Um, you want to chat in more detail. I think then you're relevant. You're quite relevant. And it's interesting um, that you're leveraging this um, yeah, yourself. But for example, what is it um, if you like, we have now a big account and at a Volkswagen, there is not one decision maker for like such a deal. They're like different orgs. And then you also have like maybe the VP of engineering in Germany. And then you have the VP engineering in Europe or EMEA and then global. So um, how do you then like differentiate between a decision maker and a more powerful, powerful decision maker? And how do you bring them together? I, I think it. <laughs> That's kind of a, a it, it depends answer, right? I think it depends on the product you sell and also depends in which uh, region you want to sell maybe your product into, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think if, if, the, if your intention is that you want to sell within the German organization, you would then approach maybe the German VP of mm -hmm. engineering, right? If you're going to scale globally, then you will probably try to speak with the global VP of engineering. So it depends on, on your intention, depends on, on your account patch. Are you responsible only for Germany? In form mm -hmm. of, you could be like an enterprise seller for a huge company. Let's say you're working for Microsoft yeah, mm -hmm. and, and your account is Siemens. Then are you responsible only for Siemens in Germany or are you responsible for Siemens globally? And then it already kind of uh, gives you the focus on which... You know which decision maker mm. you should you should kind of approach, but I think the the overall rule of thumb should always be you should go the highest up that you can and that it, it makes sense for your product. Mm. And I think a lot of salespeople are afraid to go high up. My I myself I'm often enough uh, afraid going high up. I'm myself having still like you know like nerves um, and getting getting nervous. Uh, when I know I, I, I'm now cold calling a VP whatever somewhere. So that's totally normal. But I think 
need to mm-hmm. jump over that edge and, and uh, take the leap of faith. So. Yeah. And let's say, you know, you, you did your research, you talked to tons of people, you invested so much time in, in one account and all the people, yeah, they, they told you so much about this problem that there's go- that is going on. And now you're cold calling the decision maker and no matter what you do, yeah, he just says, hey, we got a different solution or it's not relevant. Of course, all objections, all um, stuff you can theoretically handle. But now you invested so much time as an enterprisee and now there's just no way to get in because they signed another contract just, just yesterday. So what do you do now? Do you just like leave them out and wait um, and put like something into your HubSpot to approach them again and focus on the other accounts? Or are you still not giving up? I think that I think that if you are if you are really relevant and if you really have done that research, like in the textbook, right? Mm-hmm. The likelihood of this person saying no is very very small. Mm-hmm. I think the I think if you if you look all, you look like on an x and y axis the. Uh, you need to be relevant and you need to have the right timing. If you have the right timing and you are very relevant, then you will get the meeting. If you're very relevant, but your timing is off, you won't get the meeting. And if your timing is right, but you're not relevant with your messaging, you also won't get the meeting. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, it, it comes down really to that, to that preparation. Uh, again, it can always happen that you're prepared, but somehow, you know, the person stepped uh, with the wrong foot out of the bed and it's just, you know, just says no because he's just, you know, stressed, whatever. Um, probably if you are still convinced, you should try again, like in, I don't know, like two months time or something like that. So, so like, just don't cross it out of the CRM. I think I'll always, I always think this is a big mistake and, and a lot of uh, sales reps leave a lot of potential on the table because they don't follow up on maybe no's, right? Uh, we know from a lot of statistics, you need like seven, eight touch points until you get that meeting. And then people are, are, are sad and start crying because they, they got like a no. So I think sometimes uh, there is uh, one saying, my first mentor, sales mentor always told me that hunters must also be good in waiting. You know, like in, it sounds better in German, right? <laughs> They say that like, and Jäger muss auch warten können. It would be in German, but 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 in essence is okay. We are all hunters. Anyone we want to have the quick success, but sometimes you need to wait until the time is right. And maybe mm. the time wasn't right. And if you are convinced that your message is right, and you're convinced about the problem and your solution, hey, that then just put like a new date in two months time in your CRM and just try again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and makes give, sense. The, give the people more a benefit of a doubt because maybe it wasn't just about it wasn't about you, it wasn't about your idea, it wasn't about mm. the problem or the solution. They maybe just had a bad time because again, although it's B 2 B sales, it's still people on the other side, and you know people have emotions, and sometimes you just get them at the wrong uh, yeah. uh, time. Makes makes sense, absolutely. But um, now we will move on. Now we have our meeting booked with a decision maker. Yeah, so. Would like to like go a bit like before the meeting still. So to this point, so what is your agenda in general, or what is your objective? I don't, yeah, I, don't, I know like some sales leaders don't like if you set objections for uh, or objectives for meetings. But what do you say is your goal, your personal goal for the first meeting, and how do you prepare for the first meeting? 
So it depends. Um, I would throw the question back. Are we speaking then about, you know, is it like the first discovery with the decision maker or is it like really, hey, I already done a discovery and it's now about to qualify kind of the opportunity? It's, it's the first discovery kind of, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, let's assume that you already done, done a little bit of discovery with people that are more down below, right? You done this bottom-up discovery. So... Uh, what you would do then is you would probably prepare just one slide um, where you would summarize your findings, right? You can call it something like, hey, our understanding, yeah, status quo. And then you basically reiterate what uh, your findings are. Um, the findings meaning what is the current state and what are the negative consequences? What is the negative impact of this current state? So, in very simple terms, you reiterate the problem that the customer has at the moment. So, the problem is that they have a certain current state that they are not happy with. This current state creates some kind of negative impact. There must be probably like a future state that they would like to achieve and mm -hmm. some positive outcomes, some positive consequences that they want to have from that future state. So, let's take an example, right? Let's say um, uh, we go back to the cloud software world. Let's say um, we speak about an e-commerce project. Uh, the current state could be that the website of, let's say, Amazon, right, <laughs> goes down, uh, is offline for every every day for two minutes. That's the current Ooh. state. Yeah. Okay? The negative consequence of the web shop of uh, Amazon going down for two minutes would be around a loss of two million per day of revenue loss mm. okay the uh future state is 100 availability 100 uptime because this would ensure the maximum sales uh let's say um, um op optimizing the, the 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 sales on the uh, on the uh, online shop so what is a very simple example right now very yeah. simplified right? So, so what is the current state how is it impacting the business mm -hmm. So always try to, um, in the negative consequences, how is it impacting the business? Uh, mm. And here comes a big trap. A lot of people, I think, then give a consequence, again, that is very technical. But uh, you always need to be, uh, and with all, all, like a lot of people sell tech, IT, software nowadays. That's why I'm taking this as an example. You have a technical problem, a status quo, a current state. How is it impacting the business? What is the future state? And what is the positive uh, desired outcome of the future state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that you would that you would kind of uh, validate with him. Hey, so dear customer, so I spoke with those and those people, right? And they told me that currently um, the situation is the following: that uh, you have this situation and it's impacting your business in the following way. Um, and then you ask questions: How do you see this? Uh, have you been aware of this? Do you see this differently? Do you have any other interesting insights that maybe I wasn't able to grasp? Um, mm -hmm. And then it comes just a natural conversation. Maybe he wasn't aware of all those things. Maybe he says, yes, this is a big problem and we haven't found a solution yet. And then you just engage, right? But you need a structure. And a structure is current state, negative consequences, future state, and how is the positive uh, desired outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, and at the... Uh, end of that meeting so what is the out what is the outcome of the meeting the outcome of the meeting is that you somehow need to get the buy-in of this person 
the confirmation that this person wants to engage with you in the evaluation process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, because uh, what what is what is the ultimate aim of such a first meeting? The the the, the aim of that first meeting is to sell the second one. Yeah, <laughs> um, and <clears throat> at the second meeting then can be you know can be a more thorough uh, second discovery. It can be that you maybe prepare some um, reference cases where you solve a similar issue. But you always need to have that uh, reason for that other meeting. What is, in, what is in it for the other person? What is in it for the champion to have that other meeting for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes, makes sense. And um, of course, like, in like enterprise accounts, you need to to some way um, or in some way individualize every solution that you have. Um, so, do you have kind of your check boxes um, in the discovery or in the evaluation phase that you tick or um, that you know? Okay, this is a point where every company needs an individual solution that you just go through, and when everything's done, then you go into the offer process. Is that how you do it? So you now mean uh, kind of the qualification tool, qualification methodology? Um, no, I'm not sure the, if I understood uh, precisely. In general, about the individualization of your product that you sell, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and what exactly they they need, yeah. Um, so kind of still the discovery, but in terms of the solution that they that you that you sell to them in the in the end, um, how you find out in every deal. What exactly is something that they need to have individualized based on their problem? Yeah? Mm-hmm. So I think there are two things to that. The first thing is you wanna in the discovery you are not uh, doing kind of the the scoping and the validation of the product. Um, in the discovery, what you're doing is you wanna find out uh, um, is this a deal that that you want to pursue? Yeah, is this a deal that you wanna go after? So. Um, you want to early on classify, is this a deal that has a chance to close? Is this a real problem? And what is the deal size? You know, is, mm. this, is this something you want to spend your time with? Now, back to the second part, and this is then uh, your question. You are checking those boxes once you got the commitment of your champion that he sees the problem that he wants to solve, that he wants to solve right now, and that he's sponsoring that uh, next steps with you that could be, for example, a technical workshop, right? Where you sit with uh, his team, and then you find out how the product, how the solution would need to look like, because then we are speaking about the capabilities that you want to that the customer wants, mm-hmm. and the capabilities the customer uh, needs um, result in some kind of adjustment of your product, mm-hmm. right? So. Uh, very simply, every problem has certain uh, requirements how it gets solved. And based on the requirements that you find out, for example, in a technical workshop, you then know which type of product you want to sell or which kind of module out of your software you want to sell or how you need to adjust your product so it meets those criteria that the customer has. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, and then, you know, you told that the next or the next phase would be the validation phase. So what exactly is discussed in this phase or exactly what happens in this phase? 
so validation we need to we need to again be more specific like right so what are we what are we selling let's say we we stick to that it and tech sales for 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 that example right mm-hmm. um but it, let's say it's also it can be an an, an very sim a very simple hr solution or something like that right mm-hmm. um or maybe it's some other uh, uh service that you are selling it's always the technical validation so is 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 your product your service solving the problem at hand so is there is is it is there a fit between the problem and your service this is this is kind of a technical validation and after a technical validation you also need to know hey is this somehow uh, um, okay from the investment perspective so you do have a business validation as well mm-hmm. you have a technical validation and you have the business validation in a technical validation you want to understand what are the requirements the customer has mm-hmm. and how your product and this is not very important and how your product is solving those requirements in a very unique and specific way different to, uh, to different to competitors mm-hmm. Right. So let's say your requirement is that your website, right, should or, or let's say you are uh, you're selling an HR tool, and the requirement of this uh, HR head of HR is um, they have subsidiaries in the US, in Canada, and in five European countries. This means that the requirement is that your that your HR tool must have contacts in the US, Canada, in all, in all those five European countries. If you don't have those contacts in those countries, you're clearly not meeting the requirements. Right? So that would be one requirement. And are you able to solve those requirements? Mm. And the second part is then the business validation, meaning how much would, would then the solution cost that matches the criteria that you have identified in, a, in the sales process, in a workshop, uh, whatever. And then are you doing all these things alone or is it also something that you like pull in other members from your team? So uh, the, the more complex sales gets, the more it's a team sport. Mm-hmm. So usually in an enterprise sales scenario, um, when it gets technical, you also have something like a solution engineer or solution architect. That is helping you with you know the technical requirements, the technical scoping of the uh, deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe you also have people like um, uh, business consultants that calculate the total cost of ownership. Um, yeah. uh, you might have uh, people also involved from maybe a legal perspective uh, from your company. So yeah, there's a lot of people that can be involved, and uh, it's always a team sport. Uh, you never sell an enterprise deal alone. Yeah, definitely. Um, but for example, the, of course, yeah, a lot of stakeholders on on your side and also then on the customer side. Um, so when exactly are you putting or when exactly in the offer stage are you um, interacting or putting together um, legal and finance? Because I think those two are um, often, yeah, or common uh, stakeholders that everyone needs to manage? I think they get there at the very end, right? So you, you don't want to get in a situation where legal or finance is blocking your deal. I mean, it can always happen, but usually when, 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 uh, when someone that has decision-making power in the company says, hey, we need this, 
yeah, it will happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are people that can either uh, say yes, and there are people that can say no, um, and people that can say yes also if others say no in mm-hmm. the company. Uh, and you want to have those people as champions in the deal. So that's the first thing. But usually finance and legal comes um, after uh, actually the buying decision was done. Mm-hmm. You know, or, or let's say procurement in, in, in that sense. That should be, and that is, if you have done all the steps before correctly, just a formality. Of course, it can take time. If you have public accounts, you know, that can take months <laughs> sometimes. But... Um, it, it, it shouldn't be a, a roadblocker. You shouldn't you sometimes should have uh, patience, right, to, mm-hmm. to deal with those processes. Yeah. And is it also happening that you, like, connect the HR of the client and or, the like, the legal of the client and the legal of your in-house team and the finance of the client and your in-house finance? Um, in legal, it would make maybe more sense. But is that happening or are you always the main point of contact for everyone on the client side? No, that's definitely happening, right? Because you don't have that. Again, it's a team sport. You, you, you can't have that level of proficiency uh, in like, you know, all legal uh, and compliance related topics. Um, you as, as an account manager or enterprise account manager, your um, aim, your goal and your responsibility is, is driving the deal forward. Right mm. in 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 um, showcasing sales excellence, in in uh, using your qualification methodology, whatever you use, if you use medic or bunt or whatever you are using, in following the sales book, sales process, in having all those tools uh, like a business case, like a close plan, um, like a decision making plan, you know. Um, uh, so uh, this is your responsibility, but your responsibility is not to. Uh, you know, understand law, legal, finance. Yeah. That is what you have colleagues for. Definitely. Um, and how do you then, after you maybe close the deal, um, how often is it happening that clients still reach out to you after the deal is closed? Um, and how do you like ensure the transition to maybe a key account manager or customer support? Again, it depends on the, on the nature of your business and on the company, right? Usually, when we speak about the land and expense scenario, you don't want to give the customer away after a first deal. Because uh, let's go back to that Siemens example. Let's say you have sold an HR SaaS tool to one business division. Uh, let's say maybe it's you know, Siemens uh, Energy. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe even within Siemens Energy, there are some daughter companies or some local um, uh, subsidiaries that again, you can sell to, or you can now sell to Siemens smart infrastructure, Siemens whatever, right? So then you want to expand in that deal. Um, mm. So I think to answer that question is really highly specific to the product you sell, highly specific to the business model that you have as a, mm-hmm. a company selling, and um, also to your sales position. Um, but yes, there must be, of course, at some point, a handover to customer success. Let's take care of the existing maybe um, opportunities, the existing business. And that needs to happen basically right after the deal is closed. Um, mm-hmm. Customer success should be involved even before the deal is closed. So they know the context and the story why this, the customer became a customer, why they bought in the first place. So they can uh, make sure that the customer also receives the 
benefits uh, and the uh, uh, the outcome that the customer is actually looking for. Yeah, makes sense. So you're really opportunistic on that and see, okay, um, can we maybe um, close some other business areas? Yes, uh, and stay. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, my two last questions uh, would be a more bit more chilled and funny one, I would say. So um, what was would you say the quickest or fastest enterprise deal you ever closed? Quickest and fastest enterprise deal I've ever closed? Um, I think there was none. So you didn't like <laughs> had like one deal where you say, hey, um, this went so smooth and fast, it's a record. No, I, I mean, I had a very fast deal, but it wasn't clearly an enterprise deal. I think it's, um, I think it's, uh, it's it's just it's just not possible when we really speak uh, of an end again and what is an enterprise deal right um, yeah but if you sell first time to an, uh, to an enterprise customer it never goes fast so it's always that long that I can't remember of any super fast situation right now sorry yeah sorry Alex to disappoint you there but I had situations where I where I had a sales cycle of uh, three four hours uh, but that was for a SaaS solution and not for uh a very small uh, deal size so yeah okay sorry, cool. sorry to disappoint you here yeah mm -hmm. there is there is no no quick fix there is no silver bullets there yeah. are no quick deals in enterprise i feel okay cool um and the other thing would be what was the funniest thing that ever happened on a cold call the funniest thing that happened in a cold call um maybe the funniest thing was uh that Yeah, I mean, I, I in my in my career, I think I've done like thousands, ten thousands of cold calls, uh, and I have only very few examples that that I I got screamed at. Actually, I only have one that I can remember, and I was calling this person, um, and uh, he like like I even I just I just spelled out my name, and he started screaming at me. Never call me again. What you are selling, this is complete bull ass. And like he completely freaked out. So was it funny? It was funny in that sense that um he was complaining about what I'm selling, but I wasn't early was barely able to spell out the name of the company uh, or even my name. So um I mean back in that situation it wasn't funny, but looking back at the situation, it was just 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 a It's, it's a funny situation. So usually when we look back back at situations that are funny, um, and usually when we are in those situations that are not as funny, but it yeah. would be probably one of those. Yeah. So my fun funniest one just for the audience was um, I had a guy calling and he said, hi. Um, and I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Alex from Company X. Um, and he said, hey, I just have my baby in my arm, my newborn baby. Um, and then I said, I, I, I just like was out of like handling objections and I, it was not in my playbook. Um, and I said, Hey, you know, I call you, uh, on another day. So, um, that was mine, but, uh, thanks. Yeji. It was, I think a lot of value in these 45 minutes, um, that you gave. Um, I learned a lot and I hope the audience did as well. Um, and I leave the last words to you. Yeah, so I think, uh, th thanks a lot. Uh, we touched upon a lot of topics um, that uh, we could go much more in detail. Uh, if anyone wants to find out more, uh, happy to connect with you or just listen uh, into my podcast if you're a German speaker. 
uh, Deal Podcast ist dann eben auf der Podcast or you go to dealpodcast.net, dealpodcast.net and happy to chat around enterprise sales, sales, uh, God, life, love or whatever is driving you. So it was a pleasure being on your podcast, Alex. Thank you so much. 